0: Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. Today is record store day, and as is now traditional, there is a Doctor Who vinyl release from the fantastic Demon Music Group. This year, it is Dalek Terror, a two disc release of stories from the 1970s Terry Nation Dalek Annuals. These stories are read by Nicholas Briggs, Matthew Waterhouse, Louise Jameson, and John Culshaw. Packaging for this release is absolutely gorgeous. It's a gatefold style. With a very striking image of two comic book Daleks firing away on the cover, uh, with similar images on the individual sleeves. What I really love is when you open out the gatefold, there's this beautiful panoramic picture of the Dalek city on Scarrow. It looks absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's all domes with the sort of modular towers and spires. A really, really striking image. Then the discs themselves are a vivid yellow with a sort of red splatter pattern, like an explosion on them. The stories here all feature the Anti-Dalek Force, or ADF, led by Space Major Joel Shaw, his lieutenants, the beautiful Martian girl Reb Chavron, and the android Mark Seven. It's a little bit like Unit with the Brigadier Yates and Benton as the, as the core three characters. The stories that feature on these discs are Dalek Task Force, Exterminate, 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 Blockade, and Nightmare along with a few of the features that came in the annual, giving you some information about the Daleks and their, their history and culture. And these are great stories, full of action and daring do, as the intrepid ADF agents battle Daleks across the cosmos. Uh, you might remember more recently the ADF crop up in one of the brilliant books of Doctor Who from the 11th Doctor's era. I think Mark Gatiss styled an article about victory of the Daleks as an ADF report. And then even more recently, the character of Mark Seven has found new life in the Big Finish 10th Doctor Dalek Universe series, where he's played by Joel Sims, um, except now he's working for the Space Security Service from the Daleks Master Plan rather than the ADF. So these stories were previously released with others on CD over the first two volumes of Dalek Audio Annuals. I've spoken to Denise Sutton and Denise and Lawrence Sutcliffe about these stories. Uh, so the first story that we get on the discs is. Terra Task Force.
1: Oh yes,
0: which is the, sort of the, the seminal one. It's the the creation of the ADF, the Anti Dalek Force, from the uh, from the 1976 annual, um, read by Nicholas Briggs, voice yes. of the Daleks, and uh, and and kind of obviously written a lot of Dalek stories in his own right.
1: Yes, he he really uh, owns the character of the Daleks. He really can inhabit them very well. Yeah, He's got a very good understanding of them.
0: Definitely. So we we meet the heroic Joel Shaw, um, who's been on holiday on a remote tropical island in the Venusian Sea. He's called to Mars, to the top secret training zone. Uh, He's not told anything but has to undergo four weeks of intense training. uh, And then he's called to a meeting with uh, his colleagues Mark Seven and uh, Reb Chavron, a beautiful Martian girl. (laughs) Mm,
1: yes we need a mental picture of of these people so um, having seen some of the illustrations from the annuals I have to say if you can just picture Starsky and Hutch and the mum from the Brady bunch they are in (laughs) double denim they have the groovy 1970s hairstyles and they are good to go
0: yeah (laughs) they are very 70s aren't they (laughs) Um, I think it's, it's also it's difficult to tell which one is Mark 7 and which one is Joel Shaw. Um, I, th- I thought originally that uh, Joel is the dark-haired one. I mean, they look identical apart from the hair colour in, in a lot of the pictures. Um, and Mark 7 was the blonde-haired one um, because there's um, a kind of a short bit about Mark 7, which is the, the second feature on the disc. But then they just seem to be interchangeable when you read through the annuals. Um, that sometimes I've got dark hair, sometimes I've got blonde hair. So I'm not sure that the illustrators are quite sure which one was which either.
1: No, no, I sort of had um, Mark Seven, who is an android. I sort of figured that the dark-haired one looked a little bit more like an android.
0: To... Yeah, but then the, yeah, the illustration where it's, um, uh, it's, it's uh, well, it's um, Matthew Wathouse reads it out, I think, doesn't he, In the uh, on the disc, where he goes through mm. all the different kind of features that the android's got. Uh, But the picture in the annual, which uh, I'll maybe take a snap of and put in the show notes, it it shows him with blonde hair. Okay. uh, That was where I was originally going from. But then as you you read through, there are times when it's sort of Reb and Joel and he has blonde hair. So maybe he just dyes his hair every now and again.
1: Or (laughs) maybe Mark 7 has some detachable heads like Wurzel Gummidge.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's quite possible as well. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> that's how they fall the Daleks is just to keep changing. That
1: oh yes, my stuff. cunning disguises.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Joel and and Reb are apparently named after Terry Nation's children who were called Joel and Rebecca. Okay. So interesting fact there. Uh, so what what happens is they get called into um, the office of the Supreme Commander and tells them he tells them that he's forming the anti-Dalek force or the ADF, going to be a small commando style unit, get behind enemy lines and destroy sort of communication centers and bases and things like that. Joel Shaw is given the rank of space major. This is another massive Terry nationism, isn't it? That everything has space mm. in front of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, um, it's not too unusual, is it? I mean, I think, um, like when, uh, Clara asks the doctor, oh, I thought you'd take me to a space restaurant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Sleep No More, isn't it? Mm. Um, and the doctor said, you don't just put space in front of everything, but they do interrogation <laughs> stories.
1: They definitely do, yes.
0: yes as a right.
1: space archaeologist later on, you know, how yeah. does that work?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Rebs described as a beautiful Martian girl, um, but not an ice warrior. She's not like the the Empress of Mars from the uh, from the other Capaldi story. She she's just it's just kind of like um, a Martian colonist.
1: Yes. So, um, but yes, very nice in a Mrs. Brady sort of way. And they all look yeah. about thirty. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. But, uh. <laughs> the yeah. So there's, the setup's quite is quite similar to the Daleks' master plan, um, in that the The setup of that is that there's um uh, you've got all the plants of the solar system who uh, are allies and and people are born on different ones as colonies and things like that because sort of Brett Vian it says was born on Mars, uh, and the plants have different sort of tournaments, space tournaments between themselves and things. So it seems very much like it's set in that time if if you were trying to sort of mesh it with the the Doctor Who continuity, such as it is. Um, but I think even if you read about the Dalek's master plan, it seems like Mission to the Unknown and things like that were a bit of a blueprint for a Dalek spin-off series, you know, so mm. it was like kind of Mark Corey and uh, uh, and, and Brett Vion. They uh, they decide that their first mission is the ADF, they're going to go and bomb Scarrow, uh, which nobody's done for decades because they've got um, a very elaborate defense mechanism called the Sky Spy and um, mm. uh, missiles. So they have a cunning plan where they uh, they fly towards Scarrow, pretend to be hit by Dalek missiles and then stage a kind of a fake crash landing uh, and then kind of shoot their own ship to blow it up so that it looks like there's no survivors once they've landed.
1: Yes, I mean I thought that this is, and all of the stories are, they're quite hard science fiction and um, the idea of faking the crash landing, I mean the detail with that, I think a lot of Stories would have glossed over that to a certain degree. Mm. Um, you know, what are we going to do? We've got to make it look as if we're dead in the crash. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's um, really a very good start to a story. Um, having to go through that, they managed not to get hurt.
0: Um, so they uh, they have to kind of sneak into the Dalek city uh, to take out the uh, the defence system and the and the missile launch room which they just about managed but then the door's locked uh, and Mark 7 managed to rip the door off with a feat of superhuman strength um, mm. which surprises them all um, and then they blow up the uh, the, the sky spy uh, mm. but then they're captured by loads of Daleks and um, Reb is tortured until the bomb the bombing run actually starts uh, and then in the in the chaos they manage to escape um, but on the way out Mark 7 in attacking some Daleks gets hit and killed.
1: Yes, because at the time, um, despite his slightly strange name, they have not figured out that he's not human.
0: Yeah, uh, so the twist at the end is uh, he walks back in alive and, uh, and reveals that he's an android. Although he thinks that they know that all along, don't they? Because uh...
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> all the way they talk about how, how unusually calm he is and, and measured and everything like that, and then we see sort of feats of super, superhuman strength, and he says he's a Mark Seven, totally humanoid robot. Uh, which leads us into the, um, the bit as I say with um, Matthew Waterhouse reading out uh, the, the features of a, of a Mark 7 totally humanoid robot
1: yes um, slightly unusual <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes um, I mean uh, I was a bit confused by where some of the body parts are but uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, his, his compu-brain um, is, mm-hmm. is in his chest where the heart would be. Yep. Um, and it uh, it can locate any piece of required knowledge instantaneously. In human terms, he is a super genius. <laughs> uh, but when you see the picture, it's a proper old-fashioned computer with a sort of a tape that spins around,
1: <laughs> uh, which is
0: great. <laughs>
1: Yes, he hasn't just got like a little iPhone embedded in his chest.
0: No, No. can you imagine when he's thinking that you can hear this thing rattling around?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, the same thing happens to me sometimes.
0: (laughs) Then the next story we get is called Exterminate, Exterminate, Exterminate.
1: Yes. So they get a distress signal.
0: Uh, which leads them to the planet Omagon, mm. uh, recently survived an attack by the Daleks. Uh, and this one's read by Louise Jameson, who I think was chosen because she was the companion, uh, sort of in nineteen seventy-six, nineteen seventy-seven, when these uh, annuals came out, uh, and didn't really get to meet oh. the Daleks either on screen. So uh, no, uh, no, she didn't. Quite nice to uh, to kind of give her that that experience as well although I'm sure she's met them on Big Finish in the meantime
1: I'm sure she has yes and uh, probably did them some quite extreme damage as well.
0: Yeah. In fact Energy the Daleks yeah she met them in that story which um, I did a podcast with Lawrence about last year uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that one uh, so yeah they've uh, they find some survivors uh, from the attack on Omegon um, they're just some, some men who kind of a, they're a bit injured but not too bad and um, but Joel Shaw, space major, is immediately suspicious because they're not very badly injured, and they're not surprised to see the ADF there.
1: Yes, yeah, it's um, set up that uh, yes, these aren't—they're not all they appear to be.
0: Yeah, they've—they um, say that some people, some people, tried to escape from the Dalek attack, going to the mines, but they've never gone to look for them or anything like that so uh, oh. it's, it's all a bit suspicious so they, they decide to go off and try and find them um, they take the survivors with them but once they reach the mines they pull a laser pistol out and, uh, and hand the ADF over to the Daleks which you think all is lost on the, only their second mission oh. um, but they escape into the tunnels with the Daleks in hot pursuit and find some giant spiders are running around in the tunnels with them
1: giant spiders woo yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, again that's um, obviously not a uh, not a Dalek story but uh, gets people thinking oh is it the same giant spiders as uh, in
0: Yeah, Planet of the Spiders
1: or something like that, Yes, I I dried there completely for a moment. (laughs) It wasn't called Planet of the Spiders, was it? That would be too obvious. Yes, of course, it was called Planet of the Spiders, honestly, yes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's nice. Um, There's familiar, things that are familiar, but they're different context, different use, and, of course, Season 11 had some giant spiders as well, so.
0: yeah. Um, well, I thought the description was um, was quite kind of nice here as well, because I think it's Reb, isn't it, that she says she sort of feels something that's kind of like bristly and, and hard, and then it's got like kind of muscle underneath, and then it runs off, and the, uh, and Max Evans says, oh yeah, it's a giant spider. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of description of how it felt first, it made it quite creepy. Mm-hmm. Well.
1: Yes, this was quite... Um... I mean, the prose in, in these stories is is quite strong. I mean, it refers to the stench of war and things like that. It's, mm. uh, it's it's actually very well-written
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't pull its punches at times either, does it? Uh, you know, for kind of a kid's book, there's, uh, there's people, mm. uh, a lot of death and, and destruction and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so they run around the mines for a bit. Um but wherever they go the Daleks are right behind them which is weird because they think they should have lost them uh, and then they realize that Reb is carrying a tracker which um, the survivors kind of slipped into a pocket when they when they met them so the uh, max 7 puts it on the back of a spider which uh-huh. off,
1: and,
0: mm. uh, and the Daleks uh, follow the spider instead and fall down a huge shaft because they're going too fast to see it <laughs> <laughs> which is a good image the giant spiders leaping over the chasm and the Daleks just plunging down it Uh, which is quite like the Daleks isn't it Um, the idea of sort of chasms and things there's that long sequence in the first Dalek story where everybody's got to jump over the the chasm
1: yes and um, Daleks do fall down big shafts sometimes like in Dalek Invasion of Earth and uh, in the Dalek films as well
0: yeah Occupational hazard.
1: Mm. That's uh, why they had to learn to fly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so once, they, uh, once they've done that, they, they get back out of the mines and um, they think, well, go and find the rest of the colonists because they're probably being held hostage. And that's why the men that they met um, betrayed them and, and sort of sold them out to the Daleks. Uh, but they, they find some Daleks have got a huge bomb, which they sort of carry out onto a road, uh, and then loudly say, "Well, we're going to just give up on looking for the ADF. We're just going to leave the planet, set off this huge bomb, and destroy the planet instead. Because uh, they've destroyed the ADF ship as well, haven't they? That um, yes, that was there. So there's no escape for them. And the bomb is made of crantinium, the hardest metal in the universe, so they can't break into it and diffuse it or anything like that all seems lost.
1: Until Mark 7 figures out that it's magnetic.
0: Yeah, he remembers that Crantinium is magnetic. So uh, he runs off to the Dalek ship and sticks the bomb to it. And then when it takes off and the Daleks detonate it, uh, it blows up the Dalek ship instead. Which is a really nice description of the explosion, I thought, when they say they could see it from, from our solar system that the explosion was so huge. Uh, and they still feel the blast as well don't they on the on the planet mm-hmm. uh, even though the explosions in space so it kind of gives a sense of scale so yeah another exciting adventure for the adf
1: yes and they got out of there with uh well somebody came to pick them up didn't they at the end so they still got home for their tea all right
0: yeah um, and they don't even the at the end is sort of like they uh, they sort of celebrate for a second and then they go but we've got a water fight Come on, let's go. Mm. Let's, uh, let's let's get someone to come and pick us up. Straight back into the action.
2: Get a little nice little interlude of the discussions of the Dalek anatomy, don't we? After mm. this story as well, which is quite nice. It reminded me of the that picture you used to see quite a lot in the eighties books of the cross section of a Dalek. Um, yeah. So I was. Uh, doing that but i liked all the little extra things they were putting in like that the 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 beacons on the dalek helmet that flash when they talk are also like a like a safety valve on the top of a pressure cooker um for if they've got too much energy and the the grills around the middle vibrate if there's something wrong um just so completely unnecessarily but quite fun little extra bits you put in Yeah, I
0: like the bit about Mm, the the the,
1: supersonic squeals and the
0: yeah, the bit about the the bumper section being so that they don't damage each other in uh, by like dodgems or something. They're sort of like designed just to bounce off each other, so there's no damage when they're they're rushing about in battle or something. Yeah.
1: Yes, but we haven't yet seen the Attractivon in action, have we? No. that's the, um, yep. the ball underneath that means that they can actually go up uh, vertical walls and things like that should they choose to do so but yep. uh, haven't seen that yet and lots of manual dexterity in their suckers don't forget yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah some nice stuff for kids in there though because uh, like you say the, the idea that the lights on top discharge excess energy and if that doesn't happen that they their heads would blow up and things uh, you know that's the sort of thing as a kid you, you sort of enjoy picturing isn't it and uh, is, it, um, is it Death to the Daleks the the target novelization is uh, is, a, is a painting of a Dalek sort of mid-explosion uh, yes. I, I think
1: you're right yeah. one of the
0: most striking ones and uh, really appealing to me as a kid yeah uh, yeah, I think
2: it was the cover of. Uh, uh, it's a still from the episode. I think it, that was the cover to the BBC video when it first came out. Because that was one of the early releases mm. they did. Yeah, I think the Epsilons have, have just done something. They rolled a big rock onto it or something. They don't. It's a bit like the Ewoks taking out the Scout Walkers in Return of the Jedi. The Epsilons yeah. have suddenly <laughs> managed to drop something on a Dalek and uh, and make it explode
1: imagine if you will there is um a man who is a businessman so kind, I sort of pictured him as a Richard Bramston type um, <laughs> and uh, he's finding himself on the outskirts of a black hole and there's Dalek ships around as well so Great balls of fire, he says, and <laughs> damn it if he doesn't just go through right through that black hole on the other side of which there is a planet on which he crashes. And uh, when he wakes up, he finds there's these mysterious alien creatures poking about with him. What are they doing? Well, they're. Um, it takes him a while to figure it out because he's in a bit of a bad way after the crash. But he figures out that they are actually working to cure him, working to repair his damaged leg and uh, make him feel better. He watches them close his wounds and things like that. And um, then he picks up his gun and realises that it's actually been customised so that it fits more snugly into his hand and it's more streamlined and it's generally a nicer piece of kit. And then when he goes back to his ship, he finds that that has been totally pimped out as well. (laughs) And um, it's got a frictionless surface like liquid mercury, which put me in mind of the um, disaster area stunt ship from the uh, restaurant at the end of the universe, which was, of course, a mother of a mover, as Ford Prefect Mm -hmm. said as well. But the little creatures themselves, I mean, you sent me an illustration and it looked like a monkey in John Lennon glasses. I sort of imagined them a bit as, um, you know, the little bitey aliens in galaxy quest. I thought they would be something like that. You know, that was how I pictured them before I saw the illustration. But unfortunately, um, Dalek ships arrive on the planet as well and get similarly tricked out. So he takes off and naffs off back through the black hole and, uh, Daleks follow him. And, um, he manages to take out he thinks he's taken out all of them and he's laughing hysterically as he goes through the massive g-forces and his force field gradually disintegrates as he suffers the onslaught of the dialect firepower and um then it ends up with uh, the adf finding him dead and uh, realizing that in the recording of everything that's gone off there's only two explosions and there were two there was uh, three dalek ships so one of the dalek ships escaped um so yeah like you say another unresolved cliff yeah. <laughs> but yes i mean it's interesting you have these stories from a single point of view of an adult human being not an especially nice one he's concerned about money in front of everything else and uh but yeah, it's an interesting, interesting story, and I do like the idea of the aliens that just fix all your crap for you. Yeah, I mean, we
2: could do with <laughs> we
1: could do with some of those, couldn't we? Yeah,
2: yeah. This I thought this worked really well compared, comparing it with the Assassination Squad one, because this is a character who you right at the beginning is sort. of not really venal, but, he, but money is his driving force. He's a merchant. But by the end of it, he realizes that there are more important things, that he's the person there who can do something about preventing potentially the Daleks having this technology, this improved technology. So he sacrifices himself for that um, and has uh, something of a sort of heroic, noble end when compared with the assassin in the previous story who's who is willing to kill for money and because he he remains true to that he he ultimately dies in the story and that's what happened to him well he, it's not even that he dies he gets sort of tricked into the daleks believing that he is their actual target and
1: mm-hmm. being
2: whisked off uh, to, to have uh, to be plunged in yeah. in unspeakable ways. He's going to learn exactly how flexible those plunges are. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a nice uh, twist,
2: actually. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I really, I really enjoyed blockade. Um, yes, that was probably, of the first three. That was probably my favourite uh, as a, as
0: a story. Yeah, so. and I think, like you, you're right. It is a good moral that uh, killing Daleks is far more important than the accumulation of wealth. Uh, I think that's a good, um, it's a good lesson to teach kids, so. yeah, <laughs> uh, that's uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's not much explanation, isn't there, is there of the, of the aliens, or why they're there, or why they just help anybody that crash lands, and, uh, you know, like you say, they, um, they don't just repair the ship, they, they massively soup it up, um, they even improve the firepower and, uh, and everything else, um, the, it slightly reminded me of, and I haven't read these since I was a little, but one of the Chronicles of Narnia isn't there where somebody arrives in Narnia, and I can't quite remember what happens. There's some, it's something to do with the um, the uh, the lamp post that's there, and um, they realise that it can they can replicate things or that it can repair things or something like that, and they have the same sort of idea when they arrive that they could use Narnia uh, or. Nanny and magic to uh, to make themselves wealthy in the real world. I think uh, that kind of yeah felt like it had vague echoes of that. Anyway,
2: yeah, is there not something where somebody sort of fills their pockets with stuff, and when they come back the other way, they have all turned into leaves and something like that? That feels familiar.
0: Yeah, I think there is. There's something yeah. like that, isn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. Um, the first sort of thought is is how that it can um, you know how it can. Benefit them materially. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They did remind me of something as well. And again, like, you know, I can't quite put my finger on it, but they're, they're sort of, they're for the more, for the younger listeners perhaps out there, they're, they're yes. a bit like the house elves in Harry Potter. So they just sort of go about and they do their business in the background. Or I don't know if you remember um, the Jim Henson, Fraggle Rock, oh. the doozers, the oh, little construction yeah. guys who just go along and they fix stuff. Um, and they don't really ask for anything. They just do that um, in the background. Uh, so,
1: Oh, I've got the song in my head now.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> All together now. I
2: <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, again, it's a story that doesn't, I didn't feel had a lot of, none of them do really, but none, didn't have a lot of depth to it. But it was an interesting mm. character study, I think, blockade. About this guy and and the way he he he's probably the only person who genuinely goes through a massive change across the story. And I did like the little epilogue where they find him and he still he, st- he died sort of still firing his guns and,
1: mm. and uh,
2: still fighting right to the end. And I quite liked, although you would like a little more resolution, I did quite like that open-endedness of did the third one get away? Um, did it fall back through the? through the black hole, mm. uh, how, how do the Daleks have this advanced uh, or this improved technology now uh, to add to the already sort of pretty formidable technology? So, yes,
1: absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, we can never have the Daleks completely wiped out of the universe, can we? Yeah. That can never happen. Uh, sure.
0: It wasn't a hundred percent sure on how he died because his ship isn't destroyed or anything. He just seems to have uh, got very hysterical, shooting at Daleks, and then uh, his, his guns ran out of juice. And um, he's, they find him sort of still gripping the, uh, the firing mechanism, don't they? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's no there's no suggestion that maybe the hull was pierced. Even a little line that said they come in wearing space suits because there's no atmosphere, or yeah. something like that. Would have explained it. Just um, all although there's agents. that little thing when he's through the other side of the hole, um, the gas there that's making him cough and feel lightheaded. I wondered mm. potentially has that poisoned him in some way? Yeah. Because um, he's he? yep. talking about how tired he is and how exhausted he is waiting for mm-hmm. the third ship. So is he actually dying as that's happening? And they've just mm-hmm. sort of put a bit more of a gloss on it for younger readers.
1: Um, yeah. So. yes because he went through a lot of G forces as well, didn't he? So uh, his body took a bit of a battery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. does it talk about his 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 maximum G couch or something like that? Mm. Um, I imagine that he had a, a range of couches. Like there was minimal G couch <laughs> and medium G couch and things
1: so. like. Well, I know my couch has got its own gravitational force. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Achieving escape velocity is quite difficult sometimes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Louise Jameson uh, well, and Nick Briggs doing the, the voice of the Daleks, uh, where it's sort of human and Dalek history side by side. Mm. Um, and uh, you realise that the Daleks are responsible for something there.
1: It's quite um, Britain centric, though, isn't it?
0: It is a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Year 42, London first formed. Yeah. Daleks up to no good that year as well, you know, and uh, Daleks causing the Black Death and the Great Fire of London.
0: Yeah, and the sinking of the Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, but it ends very ominously because they, they go up to the 1970s and then they say 1976, uh, and the Dalek bit just doesn't say anything as if, as if there's something in the offing.
1: Mm, so. well punk were Daleks responsible for punk
0: quite possibly or, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the drought that happened that year or uh, who knows Yeah. or there was an uh, invasion of ladybirds as well massive population explosion of ladybirds ah. was that caused by the
0: Daleks they were probably some kind of Dalek drawn weren't they <laughs> um, yeah, got a little, maybe they are they've got spl- um, spots on their wings haven't they
1: yeah and they got a hard outer shell
0: yeah mm. <laughs> mystery solved Yeah.
1: there we are then that's what the Daleks were up to in
0: 1976 yeah. uh, and then finally uh, we've got um, the story Nightmare Denise
1: yeah this is from the 1976 annual and it is read again by Matthew Waterhouse who uh, does get into them he, he reads mm. very well doesn't he and uh He he is enjoyable, I think, like you say, um, Lawrence. uh, Because his voice isn't so familiar, particularly not his adult voice, and he does, well, yeah, he reads very well, and he enjoys and understands the subject matter. And um, so, yes, it's the ADF, and it's Joel Shaw, and they have just rescued Gil Tranter, Um, who has been on an ADF reconnaissance mission but has been missing for a month and has just been picked up in a space life draft. And um, all he can really say is Daleks all around us, Daleks here. And so the doctor, not that doctor, the physician (laughs) who's treating him um, wants to use a drug, well, has a drug called Psychotron and that's the only way that they can get him to calm down enough to actually say what has happened to him and why he's so terrified, and uh, Joel Shaw basically orders him to use it, so he has the injection, and he tells a story about landing on this horrible planet with oozing sulfur pools, and he says he's inhaling evil with every breath, and... um, so it goes on. He uh, explores this scary place where there's horrible creatures in the air and there's swamps and it feels like there's things living under there because he can see the little movements but he can't actually see the creatures themselves and he's this terrible foreboding but there's a light ahead and he follows the light and he comes to this temple but he, the sense of evil is even stronger and he says and so he says it's a temple of death and he goes into there he finds some daleks there which perhaps isn't a big surprise <laughs> <but> <laughs> under the circumstances but um he he under a sheet he finds the bodies of his dead crew who have been killed out in space but the daleks somehow have taken their corpses down to this planet and um Surprisingly, he passes out, and when he wakes up, he finds that one of his dead crewmates is awake and staring at him with hatred in his eyes. And um, what is happening is that the Daleks have found a way of implanting Dalek brains into human beings. And um, they have been doing this for a long time. They've been doing this for 10 years. So you've got a major infiltration problem there. I mean, that's. Uh,
0: it's quite good on your
1: Yes.
2: They've had chance to get to positions of power like, I don't know, Prime Minister or President of the United States.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as a couple of totally random examples. Yes. <laughs>
0: surely, surely they would be much more effective if, uh, if that was the case. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I suppose they would have some kind of efficiency that would be perceptible at some level, yeah.
0: (laughs) Unless the operation went um, horribly wrong, yeah. Yeah, I thought um, But
1: yes, I mean, that's uh, quite a horrible theme, and I suppose in a way it's kind of been touched on in Doctor Who a little bit in recent years. I mean, you had the hybrid in um, the Dalek State Manhattan. mm. And then, of course, from the Asylum of the Daleks onwards, you get um, corpses that are reanimated. Yeah, they are in fact agents of the Daleks, with the little eye stalk that comes out of their forehead. At some point, eventually, um, for some reason, yeah. and uh,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> so. Um, but yes, that was a very scary thought, and I suppose for the target readership of this story I suppose you would think well yeah I've got a school teacher that I don't like who's a bit of a horrible (laughs) cruel person perhaps he's really a Dalek yeah you can sort of imagine planting those seeds of ideas you know a strict uncle or a nasty school teacher they're really a Dalek
0: Yeah. yeah
2: this was my favorite of the of all the stories um, I really like the way matthew Waterhouse read it but it really made me think of sort of the HP lovecraft sort of things um sort of in the mountains to madness uh, the mountains of madness and uh, shadow over in's mouth the way they that the story describes this temple and really the those sort of the the robed figures that we never get to really learn about felt like sort of cultists and Mm. things like that. And then people, there's a touch of invasion of the body snatchers that you might meet people and are they the person you know or are they, have they been taken over? And you do get sort of a bit like, um, the original nineteen fifties movie of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, with Kevin McCarthy running along the streets, sort of saying they're screaming that they're here, they're here. Hmm. You kind of—that's the way that story ends. Is that they're everywhere? They've been here for ages. I I actually thought that was for kids. I think that was quite a scary story potentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I hadn't thought of that uh, parallel with the um, body snatchers idea. But yeah, yeah, very much. Um... Yeah, and, uh, and that, that reminds me of what you said about the hooded figures, that was what made me think about, you know, could they be the invisible inhabitants of Spiridon? because yeah. it sounded like um, quite a hostile planet but, uh...
0: Matthew Waterhouse reads it in a kind of, uh, almost like a sepulchral whisper at times <laughs> um, uh, he really reads it with relish doesn't he, as, especially as it just gets creepier and creepier yeah. Yeah. Like daughter, I mean, he. of course,
1: you know, he was a massive Doctor Who fan growing up himself, and you sort mm. of wonder, you know, was this one of his childhood annuals?
0: Yeah. Mm. I quite like. Although the... he would have been a
1: bit old for that one, maybe, but yeah.
0: uh... t- maybe not. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, yeah. how old are we?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for a reader, that nightmare really gave them something to get their teeth into. Um, Something like the hostages. It's it's really short as a reader. that There's not a lot you can do with it. Mm. Um, but I think I think this one. It, there was a lot of. Don't know something about the language of it. Felt that it, it really helped the reader. That one. Are they all? Do you know, Mark? Are they all written by Terry Nation, or are they are they farmed out to other writers? The stories.
0: I think it's one of those things where it's not fully known, but my understanding is that especially the ADF stories were based on um, the Dalek TV series that he tried to pitch. I think he pitched to the BBC and then pitched to American networks. Um, that that would have been the setup for the Dalek TV series. Would have been uh, you know the main characters would have been Joel Shaw and the ADF fighting the Daleks. Um, mm-hmm. So I think these are sort of uh, pictures or synopses or whatever of uh, potential episodes. So somebody
2: else could have been the one to flesh them out to a story length.
0: And, yeah, um, yeah, quite possibly. They, they're quite um, they're quite y some of them. Uh, I think in this one, the, the two guys that escape on the ship, in the, in the escape capsule that lands on the planet, one of them's called Tranta and the other one's called Tarrant, which mm. um, it's that sort of uh, Termination naming convention, isn't it, of, um, of, of names that sound a little bit like his name.
1: Yeah, well, the, um, there was Tarrant in Blake Seven, of course.
0: Yeah. Blake's Thank you very much for listening to this Trap One podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Trap One underscore. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find all our previous episodes at Trap One And it'd be fantastic if you would leave us a star rating or a review so that other people can find the podcast more easily. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>